Excuse me, ma'am. Mr. Harrison's computer report. Take the desk in the back. I'll get you work in a bit. Mr. Harrison won't warm up to you. Don't expect it. Do your work. Keep your head down. Thank you. Go on. Get settled. Ruth, what's the status on that computer? She's right behind you, Mr. Harrison. Does she handle analytic geometry? Absolutely. And she speaks. Yes, sir, I do. Which one? Both. Geometry and speaking. Ruth, uh, get me the... You think you, uh... You think you can find me the Frenet frame for this data? Using the Graham Schmidt. Orthogonalization algorithm? Yes, sir. I prefer it over Euclidean coordinates. Okay, good. What the devil are you doing? Are you taking a break? Catherine. Come on. Sir, we've got pad 14 on the box. All right, let me in now. This is Langley. We have the coordinates confirmed. Stand by. We can confirm the go no go point for reentry is 16. Point one one nine eight four degrees latitude minus one six five point two three five six degrees longitude. The launch window is a go. The landing coordinates match. Well, that is very good news, Al. It's uh, a little hard to trust something you can't look in the eyes. That's right, Colonel. Catherine did manage to calculate a few decimal points further than that hunk of metal. Well, I will take every digit you got. Be sure to thank her for me. Gentlemen, let's launch this rocket. Good luck, friendship, Seven. Godspeed, Langley. Uh, good morning, Hope. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, I'm Pete Smith. I'm the Youth and Family Director here, and uh, just wanted to uh, I get to talk to you this morning. And we, first off, though, I feel like uh, 
Hidden Acres, or Hidden, Hidden Figures. Anybody seen that before? The movie. Oh, so good. Uh, we, I, I threw like four clips, four separate things throughout the movie towards our production crew, uh, towards Jared back there, and, and he put them all together. It's like Hollywood is in our midst here. So can we just first let's hear for our production crew? They do so much for us, and they're always behind the scenes, uh, working so hard for us. And so uh, we, uh, I'm so grateful for that. So. Uh, what I also think is so cool is that in that movie, Hidden Figures, uh, it's about four African-American women who are way smarter than I am and were essential to uh, the NASA mission of, getting, of landing on the moon. It's a cool story. It's an amazing story. Uh, it really happened here, the four women uh, that are highlighted in the movie, and they're in a pool of a whole bunch of other women uh, who uh, helped, were kind of like the human computers uh, that helped with this mission. Uh, in 1961, JFK said, I want to put somebody onto the moon. I, we're going to land on the moon by the end of this decade. And it seemed like some crazy, audacious goal that, they, that he set out there for, for the nation to do. And, and what's crazy is, is that it's so nuts because they just didn't have the technology at that time. Now it's like, oh yeah, we're shooting rockets up all the time, no big deal. But then they did not have that technology. We have more technology on our phone, higher, like, higher processors on our phones than what they had at NASA. I also read that uh, the lunar module, the thing that landed on the moon, uh, has the amount of computing technology that that had was the same amount as if you put two scientific calculators together. Not even like the cool graphing calculators that you, know, that you play video games on, or at least that's what I did in math class. Uh, not even those cool ones, but just like the normal scientific calculator, two of them. The, it's just, to me, it's amazing that, uh, that, that our government and, and a group of people were able to, in less than 10 years, get to the moon with the technology that they had. 400,000 plus people worked on the project to get onto the moon. 400,000 plus people. It's awesome. It's so cool. Um, and what's cool, I think, what's even more, it's the coolest part of it that I think is, is there is that, that it was not, uh, they didn't do it uh, because they... Uh, because it was easy, they did it because it was hard, right? And so they, they saw that they wanted to advance and get somewhere else, and so in order to do that, they realized that they needed to embrace things that they didn't understand. That in order to get to where they needed to go, they, they needed to embrace uh, things that they didn't understand. In order to get there, they had to take on this challenge. I've experienced this as well, maybe not going to the moon, uh, but it felt hard at times as well uh, before being here, and I'm coming up on one year here at Hope, and I love it. It's been so fun. It's been such a great place to be. Uh, I feel so blessed. Oh, there's no clapping needed, there, but it's so cool to be here and be a part of a community with you guys uh, and, get to, and get to work here as well. Uh, before that, I was uh, at a camp, a Lutheran camp in Northeast Pennsylvania. I was the associate director there uh, with my friend Dan, who was the executive director, uh, and we were called in because this camp was dying. The camp was dying. There, there less and less, every year, seven years in a row, they had a decrease in numbers. This camp was, was about two hours north of Philadelphia, tons of kids that could be able to come, yet they were seeing a decline. And so we were kind of the last-ditch effort. We, they said, we need you guys to come in and try to fix this. Um, and so my, my, my wife and I moved from uh, Denver, and Dan and his family moved from Wisconsin, and, and we lived there for six years working on this camp. And it was hard. It was a lot of hard work. Uh, we did a lot of stuff. We, met, we had a lot of meetings uh, with the bishops and with different pastors and with uh, members of churches and families and kids. And, and what's cool is, is that God provided. 
we, by the time our 2018 was my last summer there, and we had doubled what we had our first summer in camper numbers, which is so cool. And, and it was, but it was with a lot of work. One of the, one of the big things is uh, talking with the staff at my first summer was that they thought we were a nature camp. And I was like, no, we're not a nature camp. We're a Jesus camp is what we are. And that's what we're going to talk about. And that was hard. That was hard for them to kind of grasp and, and get around because they had moved towards that way. The other hard thing for me in my first summer, I feel like it took six years off of my life. Uh, it was so hard. Uh, those three months were just probably the three hardest months of my life. And that was because uh, I needed to work with a, a group of people that I thought I understood, but I didn't. I needed to uh, figure out how things work and how, uh, what, how I can move this team along. Because my job, I had a lot of different things that I covered in my job, but one of those was hiring a summer staff. Uh, and then leading that summer staff throughout the summer. Uh, I had people on leadership team of, of students that I hired as well uh, to do that, but then I kind of was the driving force behind the whole thing. And so my job was to do that, and my first summer, uh, I kind of had, had a rude awakening <laughs> on what this looks like. Uh, I had been a part of leadership staff and a part of summer staffs at different camps around the country, uh, Okaboji Lutheran Bible Camp, where I was on staff one summer, and then I was on leadership team one summer there, I was on staff in summer at a camp out in Colorado. Uh, I worked at Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp for, on leadership staff for about three years. So I've had experience doing this, uh, but it was all more with my peers. It was more with people, you know, that were my age. Uh, and I realized that there was something different in the generation gap between myself and the staff. And it was a rough go at first. When I was hired uh, as a staff member to work as a counselor, I, was, I bought in. I was bought into what the, what the agenda was and what our mission was as a staff and what, the, uh, what we were called to do. Uh, and these guys and girls weren't necessarily as bought in as we were. Where if I was told to do something, I'd just go and do it. And so would the rest of the people on my staff because we were here for a reason. And these guys, they needed to buy into that reason is what I learned. After a lot of reading prayers, tears, conversations, whatever it might be, uh, I learned that in order to work with this younger generation, I needed to understand them. In order to move Bear Creek Camp, where I was at, the camp where I was at, forward, I need to under embrace and understand our staff. And it, and it worked. It helped. It worked a lot. It helped a lot. Uh, we eventually got to the point where we, uh, again, I think this, our staff was another reason why our numbers kept going up. It was because they did such an amazing job working uh, and providing uh, the spiritual basis that we needed at Bear Creek Camp. But it was a lot of work. Um, I think, too, uh, what, what's cool is, is that I learned a ton. Uh, I think probably I learned more than what they learned. Uh, as a staff. Uh, our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Isaiah. Uh, I, I pulled out just a small portion of it here, uh, and I was curious, uh, I'd love for all of us maybe to read it together. So let's as a church read this together. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So cool. Isaiah here, too, I think, is what he's doing is he's looking forward, right? It's the same kind of idea. He's embracing something that he doesn't understand in order to push God's kingdom forward. He's looking forward. He's saying, yeah, there's going to be someone God is sending 
his son, and it, God is going to be with us. To me, it's kind of like, uh, I, I feel like I've seen a video of this at one point. I don't think it's a recreation of like, and it, which just amazes me that they have this, that they captured this, but a Babe Ruth, uh, you know, the classic New York Yankee baseball player, uh, not the candy bar, and he, he like steps up to the plate, right, and he has his bat, and he points it out to outfield, like, I'm calling my shot, and then he stands up and poof, nails a home run uh, right, where he's, right where he's going. Now, I feel like I saw a video of this even, which is, like I said, so cool. But Isaiah's calling a shot here as well. He's calling the shot saying, somebody is coming. Somebody is coming and he's, it's going to be God is going to be with us through this person. And we all know that that's Jesus. We all know that. But Isaiah is embracing something that he doesn't understand in order to advance God's kingdom. It's Jesus. And we, are, us here, we here at Hope, we love Jesus. And we're a church that's all about Jesus and about what that looks like in our lives, which is amazing. Another thing I think is amazing at Hope is our mission statement. Um, our mission statement says this. It says that we are called to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Ah, so good. I love this mission statement. It's so good. Can we say it together? How about that? As a church, let's say this together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Once again, I think this goes along with our theme for this morning of, of, of moving forward. And in order to do that, we need to embrace what we don't understand. Because in this mission statement, we're called to embrace what we don't understand. This, the world around us, reach out to the world around us, super hard to do. Because it's not reach out to the world around us that looks like us. It's not reach out to the people around us that uh, agree with us. It's not reach out to the people around us that are the same age as us. It's reach out to the world around us. Everyone. It's bigger than just what our perspective is. And I think that's amazing. Again, to be able to embrace what we don't understand in order to advance God's kingdom. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but in the last like 10, 15 years, Ankeny has grown I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not. Uh, I lived in Iowa, uh, and then I was out of the state for about 12 years. But every time I drove through Ankeny, coming back home, uh, coming up the interstate, it's like, what's happening? There's another exit, and, you know, there's, like, what's going on with Delaware? Why do we have two Casey's right next to each other? And, and all these different things, right? And then, I, but I remember way back when I had some friends that lived in Ankeny when I was up at Riverside, you know, 15 years ago. And... Outback Steakhouse showed up, you know, and they're like, we got an Outback, you got to come down. It's like, all right, cool, yeah, it was great. And it was off and like, felt like it was in a cornfield, you know, and, and I, you guys remember that, right? Some of you maybe, the Outback. Ankeny's growing, and this is our world around us right now. Uh, last fall, when we did the uh, Building to a Hope Beyond campaign, some stats came out uh, that I thought were super interesting. I wanted to share them with you this morning. One, 56% of our church uh, members and attenders are under the age of 19. 56% under the age of 19. How cool is that? Oh, it's so cool. 77% uh, of, of the people that attend here, our members, are under the age of 40. Oh, so cool. 24 is the average age of, our, of who attends here at Hope Ankeny. So neat. And then 32 is the average age of the residents of Ankeny. You go outside to your car after, after service today, and you're going to see, you, you, you see all these apartment buildings. They're just right out there. It's a young town, 32. So cool. 
But when you look around in our congregation, you look around in the room today, and we've got all sorts of generations that are around, that are present in our church, which is so cool to me, is to, that because we are a church, multiple generations can come together. We have Gen Xers and Millennials and Postmillennials and uh, Baby Boomers. We have a ton of different people that represent a whole bunch of different walks of life here this morning. So neat that the body of the church works like that. Um, I got to work uh, with that staff, and they were millennials is kind of where they were at. I am not a millennial. I'm just on the cusp of that uh, age uh, generation. Um, but I got to work with these, the staff that were. And uh, I feel like millennials get a bad rap in the news or anywhere. You like, if you type in millennials and you Google it, uh, you know, usually it's like things that show up are like, kind of like uh, bad traits that show up about, because of the millennial, about the millennial, millennial generation. Or else, like, top five things why you'd want a millennial to work for you. Uh, five, because they couldn't get to ten, I guess, or I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like millennials get a bad rap, but I have worked with millennials, and uh, I think they're awesome. I think they're so cool because, again, it's about that buy-in. Once they have bought in, they are in, right? Am I right, millennials? Are you, once you buy in, you're in, right? Uh, and, and that's what we want. We want to be able to uh, push our church and push uh, not just our church, but God's kingdom forward. We have a great example in this. We have a great example of this idea of understanding and, and embracing what we don't understand uh, in order to push God's kingdom forward through Jesus. Uh, when you think, think in your head about Jesus' disciples, and when you think about them, you probably think the you know, guys, middle-aged men or Jesus' contemporaries, uh, maybe something like this picture shows up, you know, men with sweet beards, uh, male pattern baldness, uh, you know, that sort of thing going on. That's what you kind of think about when you think about the disciples. At least that's what I always thought. But really, they were teenagers. Most likely, they were teenagers, uh, were the disciples. The way that it kind of worked at, 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 when Jesus was around was that we had teachers of the law called rabbis. And Jesus was called the teacher of the law or rabbi as well. And so he had disciples. But there were other rabbis that would teach the law. And the law that they would teach, it was always a little bit different. It was kind of their take on what, what Scripture was. It was their yoke is what it was called. And so uh, you would wear, like not actually wear, but you would take up a yoke. Not like a, you know, you're cracking eggs, that kind of a yoke. But the yoke of uh, like what an ox would wear when they're pulling a cart or plowing a field. And so what would happen is, is that disciples would then want to learn what that rabbi's yoke is, what their teachings were. And so the, how they did that was they would say, oh, yes, I really agree with this rabbi. And so I'm going to, I want to be a disciple of them. And they would follow those rabbis around, listening to what they were teaching and, and engaging with the teacher as much as possible. But the disciples would choose them as teenagers. They would choose them and start following them. It was an honor, I guess, is what I understand, is that it was, it was considered an honor to be a disciple and to be covered with the dust of the rabbi. It was an honor. Because you were so close that as you were walking and as the rabbi was walking and talking, that you were being covered by their dust because you were so close to them. You were learning so much. But I don't think that the, the problem with that, though, is that the idea of what, what, what it kind of goes against what we were talking about this morning. This idea that in order to advance God's kingdom, we need to uh, embrace what we don't understand. Because really what's happening is these disciples are trying to figure out what the rabbi is saying, but the rabbi isn't really 
trying to help them with that. They're just kind of living their life and teaching and, and those sorts of things. But Jesus does it different. Jesus did this differently. He did not just have people that just started following. I mean, he did, but his disciples, he, he called differently. Um, in John 15, 6, it says, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruits so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. You didn't choose me, I chose you, Jesus said. We remember some of the stories of calling of the disciples. Jesus is walking down the shore, uh, and he sees some uh, teenagers fishing in a boat, and he says, leave your nets and follow me. Have you ever thought how crazy that is that they just, like, imagine you're at work or you're doing whatever you're doing, and somebody says, time to follow me, and then they just, you just get up and go and walk out, walk out and leave. Why would they do that? Because it was such an honor and so weird and so opposite of what happens normally uh, that they were asked to, to, to follow a rabbi, to follow a teacher. It never happens. And it's such an honor to be able to do that. And so they didn't want to miss their chance. And so they left what they knew and what they grew up doing in order to follow Jesus. Now, some other stuff. So beyond just the rabbinical, uh, like normal teachings and what happens during, during that time of Jesus, we have some other clues to show us that the disciples were uh, most likely teenagers. Uh, Peter, uh, there's the one disciple that, they're not, that they feel like maybe was older than a teenager and that the rest of them were teens. Um, and they thought that because Peter, uh, we think that Peter was married. Uh, we also, uh, he's kind of the most, one of the most verbal or vocal people uh, of the disciples. He was usually one of the people that talked uh, for the rest of the group. And, uh, and so uh, they think because he was older, maybe he was willing to do that. But then also we have some scripture here from Matthew 17 that talks a little bit about uh, Peter and his age. Well, it kind of does, which we'll dig into here. It says this, On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then Peter goes and he talks to Jesus a little bit about this temple tax. And then Jesus says to Peter to go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. Now, what's this tax? That's, that, this is the tax part. This is where we're going to kind of figure out a little bit into uh, who was following Jesus and how old they were. This tax actually comes from uh, Exodus. It's the Mosaic Law. It comes from way back in Exodus uh, that was set up for the temple way back then. In, in Exodus chapter 30, we can read about this tax. Starting in verse 14, it says, All who have reached their 20th birthday, put a pin in that, remember that 20th birthday, must give this offering to the Lord. When this offering is given to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, the rich must not give more, and the poor must not give less. Use this money for the care of the tabernacle. It will bring you, the Israelites, to the Lord's attention, and it will make atonement for your lives. 20. So in order to, in order to pay this tax, these are the same two taxes that we're talking about here. In order to have to pay this tax, you need it to be 20 or older. We know Jesus started his ministry when he was in his 30, 30 or in that age uh, range, uh, and that then Peter is also called to pay this tax. They don't ask for this tax from any of the other disciples, though. Nobody else is required to pay this tax with Jesus and Peter, only those two. So Peter or Jesus is working with teenagers, people, a generation younger than him. 
which is pretty cool. And the way that he does this, too, I feel like he gives us some awesome examples of, of what that looks like about this idea of, of uh, in, in order to push God's kingdom forward to embrace what he doesn't understand. Because all the time we read in the, in the Gospels of these disciples messing up, right? And instead of Jesus telling them to get away or leave me alone or whatever it might be, he instead, he comes alongside them and works through it with them. He goes beyond just what these other teachers and rabbis do. And instead, he wants to lift them up. Because think of all these awesome and amazing things that they then do to advance this ministry beyond what his teachings are and to spread that out and spread his teachings to others. Awesome. Jesus saw. He knew that in order to bring God's kingdom here, that he needed to embrace what he didn't understand. I have the honor and privilege to share an office with some amazing uh, millennial women. They are awesome. Uh, Zoe Vorwerker, you saw, she was up here leading. Uh, she's one of our worship leaders here. Uh, she's amazing, and uh, it's so fun to be able to just do ministry with her, and she helps out with student ministry. Uh, also, I get to uh, share an office and work with Ashley Lentz, who is our pastoral intern. Uh, and she, So she's going to seminary to be a pastor, uh, and she's so smart, and she's so fun, and she's, and she's great as well. And also, she does student ministry with us. But what I feel is interesting, and, and I was thinking about this and talking with Pastor Scott about this, was why, <clears throat> why are they in ministry? You know, millennials, traditionally, if you kind of look and, and do some research, uh, they're leaving the church. They're not, they're not as engaged anymore in the church. Yet we have two that here that are amazing and are super engaged and are doing amazing ministry here. And so I thought, I want to ask them. And so we sat down and I asked them a couple questions this week and we put it in a video and I, I want to show you guys that video. So let's see what they say. so many things that excite me about hope but if I had to narrow it down to one I would say the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit when I walk in these doors it feels different to me and it has since I was in like sixth grade when we started coming to hope now I know that that's the presence of the Holy Spirit and watching the Holy Spirit work in this place excites me astronomically about being here at hope you can see people change you can see people growing you see people stepping up to serve, you see, um, you see hearts start to ignite, and um, that's my favorite part about hope. I really love the emphasis that hope puts on the next generation, raising up leaders, whether that be at Kairos, up in AIM, Ignition, Power Life, the thousands of students that we just saw go through VBS. Hope values the next generation, and that goes right into one of our core values, which is worshiping Jesus and not tradition. We focus on Jesus and who Jesus is and what he did for us, not if we check the boxes of going to a worship service every weekend. Gosh, I didn't know what I wanted to do as a vocation when I left undergrad, and in a period of time where I was like trying to figure out what to do, God really laid on my heart that I was supposed to like teach, and I was like, okay, what am I supposed to teach? And out of random circumstances, people were asking me about Jesus. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm supposed to formally teach about who Jesus is. And that was like the greatest revelation to teach something that I absolutely loved myself. And one of my favorite quotes is, um, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And to me, um, teaching about Jesus matters and being able to impact other people's lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not me doing it, it's Jesus working through me and the Holy Spirit's presence in what we do that excites me about ministry. It's 
I can give it all up to God and turn that to him. And so it takes the pressure off of being human and letting God do the work. When I was about to graduate from college, I was studying communication, thinking about what I would do after graduation. And I had been interning at my church and college for the last three years. And honestly, I didn't really know what I would do if I wouldn't lead worship. I was also struggling with, is this what I want to do or is this what God wants me to do? But God just really led a path for me to come to hope um, specifically and to lead worship. And one of my favorite ways to connect with God is through worship music. And so being able to share that with everyone from Celebrate Recovery to student ministry to the weekends is just really special for me. Um, one of my favorite things is to look out when I'm leading worship and to realize that no one's eyes are on me, but they're completely focused on, on God and I get to lead I get to lead you guys into the throne room of God, um, which is just really special for me. And I'm um, just, I love my job and I get to do what I love, which is awesome. So good. You see, the millennials right now, like I said, are kind of leaving, uh, leaving the church, but they're not leaving faith. They're not leaving this uh, the, a spiritual longing behind. They're actually called the nun. They're kind of nun generation or what, not in the church form, and not like N U N, but N O N E. So not like the flying one, but like the you know N O N E. Um, millennials wouldn't have gotten that flying nun joke, I don't think. So that's fine. <laughs> A lot of times I check with Ashley and Zoe, like, hey, cultural references, or is this, am I, I'm usually out of date, so. Uh, the, uh, but they're the non-generation, because what they're doing is they're, they're walking away, but it's not that they don't want to be connected, it's just the way that we're trying to connect them, is the church as a whole, is, uh, around the world, is just not connecting them in the right way. Now, I feel like Hope, though, does an awesome job. Of, of trying to reach out and connect. Uh, one is through our Revive ministry. It's a young adult ministry. It meets in West Des Moines and Des Moines on, on Thursday nights. Uh, we also, uh, which is awesome, they do worship and some fellowship. And uh, it's a really cool opportunity where anybody's welcome to come, uh, tw you know, 20s and 30s year olds. And uh, it's really cool no matter what stage of life you're in there. Uh, we also started doing it here as well this past summer. We had a couple of events. Uh, yesterday, we went to the state fair. We had some other events uh, earlier this summer. Uh, and we have five different small groups that are meeting that are revived small groups this year, uh, which is awesome. So there's a lot of different ways that we're trying to engage and plug in. Kairos is another opportunity uh, as well where uh, this is, happens up at the Iowa State campus uh, through Hope up there. And it's, it's a Wednesday night activity where uh, worship service and fellowship where Iowa State students are welcome to come and engage and, and continually uh, build in their faith. We also are opening up, there's going to be a new Kairos at, in uh, Iowa City, which is so cool, uh, so the Hawkeyes can have it as well, so not just the Cyclones. Uh, which is so neat to me uh, that, that, you know, Hope really strives and longs to engage uh, are all generations, not just the not just the ones that show up on uh, on the weekends. Uh, what I think is, I read an article this last week uh, about a, a millennial woman who grew up. She's a pastor's kid. She grew up in church, and she moved to another city and wanted to get engaged at a church. And so she was kind of hopping around, checking all these different churches out. And she would go to the service, and then after the service, she would show up to their hopes or grow, serve, and connect booth kind of thing like what we have here and say, all right, I'm, what, what do you have for me? What, what can I do? How can I get plugged in? And, and they'd all look at her and just kind of say, you're, you're like the second person that's been to our church that's your age. <laughs> so we really don't have anything, you know, we don't have anything for you, but that's not the case here at Hope. 
She also said, though, in this article, which I thought was super interesting, was that she said that um, she would want to engage however. So beyond just like if it's with people her same age, she's like, I'd go grocery shopping with, with a woman uh, who has a family to feed and just be able to spend that time. They, they, she just wanted to connect. And so that's what I think that we can do is that we can help uh, engage people and help them connect. I also, on ESPN.com uh, this, this past week, I read uh, an article as well about Shelly Pennefather. Uh, she was a basketball player uh, in the 80s, mid-80s or so, uh, and she played for Villanova. She was amazing. She grew up in a Catholic family uh, with all boys, or a bunch of boy brothers, you know, brothers, and her dad would teach them all to play basketball, and so she got good at, like, catching elbows from her brothers and then came to just be a dominant female basketball player, just awesome. Uh, played for Villanova, and then after she got done uh, playing for Villanova, she uh, went to Japan to play pro ball in Japan. We didn't have the WNBA here, so she didn't really have that many opportunities to be able to play here. Uh, and so instead, she uh, moved to Japan. She got paid like $200,000 a year is what she was making in Japan. She played one year in Japan and realized that in order to bring God's kingdom here, she needed to embrace what maybe she didn't understand, also what other people didn't understand. In order to bring God's kingdom here, she needed to embrace that. And so she came back home, back to the United States, and said, I think I'm called to be a nun, like the flying kind, not the N-O-N-E kind, right? And, and she said, I think I'm called to be that. And her family said, okay, okay, that sounds good. Her mom actually was a nun at one point and like started going through the process and then said this wasn't for me. So like her family kind of understood this process. But she decided instead not just to be uh, not just to join a normal convent. Instead, she joined the Poor Clares, uh, which I'm sure you've heard of them. No, I'm sure you haven't, actually. But what they are, they are like a super strict convent. They, like, they, uh, they completely separate themselves from the world. Uh, they're, they're completely cut off. So she uh, gets to see her family members once a year, and it's through a screen. So it's kind of like up here in this picture here where it's through a screen window that she gets to see them. So they're not even, they're in the same room, but they're not, uh, you know, and that's how they can kind of keep in touch. She can write letters, they can exchange letters, but only if, she's been if she has been written to. So if her family members write her a letter, she can write one back. They're completely cut off. Uh, their main call as, as, a, as a society, as a group, is to pray. That's what they want to do. That's all they do is pray. Uh, they wake up at 1230 in the morning to pray. They don't sleep more than four hours at a time because they're called to pray. They sleep on uh, mats made out of straw. They're 23 out of the 24 hours of the day, they're barefoot. One hour where they walk around outside in the garden, they can wear shoes, I guess. So she went from basketball superstar to Sister Rose Marie. Hard choice, I, I would imagine. Because most people wouldn't understand that decision. But she knew that in order to bring God's kingdom here, that she needs to embrace, embrace what she didn't understand. My challenge for you today is the same. Not to go join, a, I mean, maybe God's calling you that, I don't know. But not to do something as like, I'm just leaving my family to, to serve God, but to serve God in, a, in, in however you feel called. I know that, for me, God lays things on my, heart and say, on my heart and says, Pete, you need to go and do these things. 
I'm sure that happens that I'm not just the only unique person that, ha- that that happens to. And so I'm sure that he's talking to you as well, that God's talking to you. There's some opportunities that I want to highlight. One, uh, we have the catalog uh, that, that you could pick up, our fall catalog, with all sorts of small group offerings and so many different ways to be able to plug in and connect with the community here. I'd encourage you to check it out and, and, and be a part of it and, and join. Uh, my wife and I are in a small group and love it. It's such a great way to be a part of this amazing community that we have. There's other ways too. We have Hope Kids, which is uh, for kind of, it's our Sunday school program. It's, it's this idea where we want to pour into the children of our church. We want to give them a firm foundation. My son, I have a three-year-old, and he uh, just went through VBS for the first time this year. And it's amazing to me the amount of information that just like his little three-year-old brain has pulled in about who God is. And I'm already watching a firm foundation being built in him through a week of VBS. Imagine what happens on a, week, a weekly basis at Hope Kids. I can't wait for him to get plugged in this year because he's old enough to do it. But we need volunteers. We need helpers. And you might think, oh, I'm not good with kids. That's okay. We have other opportunities for you down there to help out and be a part of. Uh, but also maybe if that, oh, I'm not too good with kids, maybe it's time to embrace what you don't understand. We also have a cool thing. It's called One Body. It's our special needs ministry. It's just so cool. I'm so excited about this. Uh, we hired somebody this past year to work part-time with us on this, and her name is Caitlin Norgard, and she's awesome. She's amazing. And what this is, is we, uh, our goal is to have everybody to be included in our, what's going on at Hope Kids or with Power Life and Ignition with our student ministry. We want the, everybody to feel like they can be a part of that even if you have special needs. And so uh, the goal of one body is for one person to walk alongside a special needs student in order so that they can be with their peers, helping them with coping mechanisms or whatever that might be. And we'll train you on how to do all these things. But this is a huge ministry that is going to, again, make foundational uh, progress and and, and foundational uh, things uh, of faith in these kids' lives. And the need is bigger than what we have for volunteers right now for one body. And so if you are feeling God pulling on your heart, we'd love to have you there. Two other things I'll plug, uh, just because this is, all these kind of are in my area, but these are the ones, uh, these two are kind of where I put a lot of my time and our time in is Power Life and Ignition, our student ministries. Power Life is for middle schoolers, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And it's a cool journey of, of walking towards uh, walk, building and walking towards their faith and, and, and what does that look like and starting to grapple with it being their own as opposed to being something that their parents are kind of having them do. Uh, so we always need leaders there. And again, more than just leaders, but other things through throughout the night. It's one crazy night of 450 kids running through and, and <laughs> here at, at, at church, which is awesome on Wednesday nights. Or Ignition or high school ministry. Again, people to pour in. Nothing speaks greater to a student's life, though, than saying, than an adult saying, yes, I will take time out of my busy schedule, time where I could be doing something else because I care about you. <sighs> How cool is that? Just, just amazing to me that, that, it, that we have people that would like to do that. And my hope is that that's maybe something you'd want to do or you feel God calling. But God might be calling you to something else. He might be calling you saying to talk to that coworker and invite them to church some night or someday. Might be saying, walk down and talk to that neighbor or a new person in your, in your neighborhood 
who knows what it is, joining a small group, helping out with ushering or greeting or whatever it might be, but getting plugged in somehow because we want God's kingdom to come. And we're, we want it to come so badly that we're willing to embrace what we don't understand. So whatever that is that it's, it's God is laying on your heart, my prayer for you and, has, and my prayer for you that I've been praying this week is just that you will uh, be able to realize that and act on that. I want to leave you with one last video. Uh, we made a video earlier this year, uh, the student ministry team did. Uh, I'm kind of obsessed with Jimmy Fallon. I, I've, I've seen him like three times at like the Jimmy Fallon show or whatever. And, and so we made a video talking about volunteering uh, for Power Life and Ignition. And so I wanted to debut it with you guys. Some of you saw it when you walked in, but I want to debut it with you guys. Is that all right? Check it out tonight, today. So be kind. I had a mustache, uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty good, actually. So uh, let's check it out. Tonight we are going to be talking about uh, volunteering for Power Life and Ignition, student ministry here at Hope. I have three guests that all have some reservations about volunteering at, in student ministry. We have uh, Betty, we have Katie, and we have Patty. So Betty, please tell us, what are your reservations uh, for volunteering and student ministry? My main concern is actually time. Uh, I have two kids. Um, I also play in a basketball league on Monday night, and, uh, and then I'm doing some binge watching on Netflix, so I've got a lot on my plate. We have volunteers right now that have a lot on their plate as well, and I thought we could bring them in to have a little bit of perspective. So let's check out what our volunteers have to say. One of my reservations was maybe like time commitment and um, all of the work that goes into power life and hanging out with sixth and eighth graders. But um, after getting to know these girls, I wouldn't, there was, there's no place I'd rather be on my Wednesday nights. Ignition is an hour and a half out of your day. It's as long as a Bachelor episode, which I personally love and enjoy. So if you can carve out enough time to watch TV, you can definitely carve out time to be a leader for somebody else. So what do you think, Betty? Hour and a half on Wednesday nights and to help the betterment of the kingdom. I think that I'm definitely in. I'm glad to hear that that's kind of solved for us. Uh, Katie, what are your reservations about volunteering with student ministry? I just don't think I have the knowledge to be able to give to these students. I mean, like, what if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer to it. Let's see what our volunteers have to say about that. And I was nervous. I, I thought, what if I don't know? Um, an answer to one of their questions. What if they think I'm out of touch or too old or not cool? Um, but that I just had to stop kind of thinking with my head and start leading with my heart. Number one, like, will I have the answers that the kids, the, to their questions that they ask? And um, like, do I know enough about the Bible? Do I know enough about anything? Uh, like, this is the area that God has called us to to lead and to serve. And so we want to be obedient to that and um, and we want to lean into that calling. And, and so you're saying you're gonna give me um, information beforehand? Sounds great. And so I can just show up, engage with the students, have fun with them, count me in. Very nice, well I'm glad Katie that that'll work out for you. Last but not least, we have Patty. Patty, tell us a little bit about your concerns. Well, I'm not a parent and so many of the volunteers I talk to our parents, they have students in the program, so it just makes sense for them to be here. But, you know, I'd love to, like, hang out with the students, but I'm afraid I wouldn't fit in. We actually have parents that volunteer as well as people that don't have kids in the program. Let's hear from those volunteers. As a parent in this world, my number one job 
is to raise uh, my daughter as a child of God. And I just thought Power Life brings all that together. It, it brings my responsibility as a Christian in serving with my responsibility as a parent. If you've ever considered being a leader and you've continued to make excuses to just stop now, if it's something that has been laid on your heart, obviously it's something that God has in store for you and you should trust him in all that he has. That is awesome. I am like ready to serve. Well, great. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Uh, I hope that your questions got answered. And if you have any other questions, please feel free to contact us. We'd love to talk with you. But if you're feeling God pulling on your heart, we'd love for you to volunteer uh, with us on Wednesday nights with Student Ministries. Mm -hmm.